Welcome to Wizard Studies. I'm Katie. And I'm Audrey. And today we are starting our second to last movie recap episode with the first half of the Half-Blood Prince movie. So this should be a fun one. Is it our second to last? Oh, that's right. I totally forgot. Well, definitely how is just, are we going to split up each part in half? I don't know. I feel like when we get there. Together, they're not that much longer than, like, the, like, six is on its own, you know? Yeah, because definitely part, (laughs) is it one or two that is, like, really pretty short? I think it's a two. Mm. Two is, like, I guess it's maybe just, like, a normal length movie compared to, like, the rest of these being really obnoxiously long. Yeah, so I guess TBD on that. We'll report <laughs> back. Um, but this one should be fun because this is like such a weird movie to me, especially like watching it this last time and like actually critically thinking about it. It's such a like, I feel like I don't know what kind of movie this movie is trying to be. You know, like it's trying yeah. to be a comedy, but it's also trying to be like super serious and like scary at some points. Yes, for sure. It's and like it's of- it's it's really close to the book in certain scenes and then like so far away from the book, probably the farthest away from the book in some scenes that we've seen in any of these movies. Mm-hmm. It's just this like such weird, like that's it doesn't why, know what it, what it's trying to be. Yeah. I think that it's, it's spoiler alert. I love this movie <laughs> for like weird reasons. But I think it's the best, like, standalone of the movies, mm. as in, like, not comparison to book. Um, and I think that, like, it's not, it's not really trying to further the plot of, like, the overarching plot of the series of, like, defeating Voldemort, mm. even though, like, that is a huge part of the book, right? Because, like, there's so much, like, learning about Voldemort and the Horcruxes and everything. But it's very, like, internal to, like, Harry's personal life and Hogwarts. yeah. In the move, like the movie focuses on those like internal things. It focuses on the love story. It focuses on the friendships. It focuses on like his relationship with Dumbledore and Dumbledore dying, and like Draco being a part of that and Snape being a part of that. More so than it focuses on like the implications of that for the war. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just like. The, I have some notes later on that we'll get to where it's like. I don't know whether I should be, like, laughing at that or whether I should be, like, scared of that, (laughs) you know? Like, it's just so weird because there are certain times where they set it up to be such a comedy, and I think that's one of the reasons why this is, like, one of the more enjoyable watches of some Mm -hmm. of the Harry Potter movies because it is so funny. But then, like, with one scene in particular, I don't want to, like, give it away. There's, like, it takes, like, a hard turn, and I was like, wait, is this still supposed to be, like, funny, or is this, like, now serious? And it Mm -hmm. takes, like, it takes the viewer a second to, like, figure out which one it is. Yeah. And so that's why I'm saying, that's why I, like, said that, like, it's kind of trying to be two different things at once. You know, like, it's trying to tell those, like, the funny moments. It's trying to tell those, like, 
interpersonal relationship moments and like mm-hmm. everyday moments at Hogwarts, but also it needs to at least semi further the plot of the series and have those more serious yeah. moments in it. And it's like, doesn't know which one to prioritize. And I, it just like, I think I noticed that for the first time on this watch, something like something that is something I hadn't noticed in previous watches. Yeah. I think that's a good analysis. Anyway, we're going to get into all of that. Um, before we go any further, our patron shout out for the episode is Candela. So thank you, Candela, for yes, all the thank support. you. We couldn't do what we do without you. Definitely not. We would still sound like garbage. <laughs> <laughs> now we might just sound like garbage for other reasons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so if we don't have any announcements, we can do our little casting special effects intro Mm -hmm. before we get into the movie um so i realized as i was making these this outline that we didn't talk about helena bottom carter last time um as bellatrix lestrange even though like order of the phoenix is the first movie she's she appears in um well i think we talked about her in like within the notes of the movie yeah yeah Yeah. but not like separate casting yeah so I mean, at this point, we're, like, not really getting a ton of new yeah. actors and actresses in the movies, so I just wanted to highlight Helena Bonham Carter, even though she really shouldn't be in this movie as much as she is. She's in it, like, <laughs> three scenes, like, three major events, um, and only one of them is something that occurs in the book, and she's also there for Um but, you know, she's always a joy to watch on screen and just kind of an icon through and through. And I think, like, maybe more so than any other casting is very much like Helena Bonham Carter is Bellatrix Lestrange and vice versa to me. Like, I can't see her other ways, um, even though... Her as Princess Margaret in the Crown was also a joy to watch. Um, But in the back of my mind, it's always like, oh, there's a little bit of Bellatrix in there, especially because like Princess Margaret was, you know, kind of had some of that same energy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I mean, I don't know that anyone in the fandom would disagree with like that casting, but if you don't like that casting, let me know because I think the general consensus is like everyone likes it. Yeah. When you said she's in three different moments in the movie, I was like, "What? what's the third? I can only think of two. And the third was the burning of the burrow yeah. because I tried Don't to block that out of my mind. Slash, <laughs> I think I just like, like tune out that part of the movie. Like I just don't pay attention. Yeah. So the next casting choice we're going to talk about is Helen McCrory, who actually just tragically died two days ago as of date of recording, I believe. Yeah, two or the three days ago. The 16th, yeah. maybe? April 16th? Yeah. Um, I think she was, like, 54 years old. Like, she, she was really not that cancer. old. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, and I know that she was also in Peaky Blinders, and I think that she was more known for that role just because Narcissa Malfoy isn't, like, a huge role mm-hmm. within the movies. Um, did I even say that she played Narcissa Malfoy? <laughs> Helen <laughs> McCrory played Narcissa Malfoy. And I, I think she did, I think she does like 
a decent job. Like she doesn't, I don't think she like blows me away as Narcissa Malfoy, but she doesn't like disappoint me. I will say the only thing I have like real thoughts about her is like her hair and how they chose the like black and white, like Corelle DeVille kind of look for her. Like skunk. Yeah. And I will say I don't hate it, but I don't love it. And I don't really understand why they made that decision. Like, I don't know if it was supposed to be like, show her connection to Bellatrix like she's got like the black and the white like the black and Malfoy yeah kind of lines going on um but yeah I mean I'm pretty sure I can say with pretty high confidence that in the book she's supposed to just have like white blonde hair like Mr. Mm -hmm. Malfoy and like Draco yeah because yeah it's just an interesting choice her and Bellatrix are not really supposed to look like yeah that's similar but um yeah the hair thing is like what sticks out to me is like just like Narcissa Malfoy in the movies because I mean she doesn't really like I guess that this the spinner's end scene is like her biggest scene yeah for um, sure. I mean unless you count like death if forest. you're talking yeah just half blood prince but I think that that well it may be a more like important scene in the series like all she does is go like, is he dead? Yeah. Or yeah. Draco, where is he? You know? Um, so this is like, actually requires her to like act a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I agree. I don't have the particularly bad or particularly good things to say about how she does this. Nishisa. Yeah. But I will say just on the note of Helen McCrory, I did hear, I've never seen Peaky Blinders, but everything I've seen on the internet is that like, she was amazing as the character that she played mm-hmm. and like the character that she played was like a fairly like important and like strong character so yeah yeah Rest very sad okay so next we have jim broadbent as professor slughorn um i think he's fine um one of the major things is that slughorn is supposed to be like pretty short in the movie and like pretty plump in the book yeah he's supposed to be short and plump and like i don't know they like jim broadbent has like a little bit of a belly like (laughs) but he's actually like a very tall man and so i think it kind of it changes the energy a lot um that's just like a basic kind of like surface level thing i think he's like i said i think he's fine as Slughorn I don't know if it's a combination of I don't know if it's like writing or him but I think sometimes I don't fully get the like energy of Slughorn super well in the movie um because I think like he is a difficult character where he's this weird balance of like kind of appearing a little like bumbling and also like he's very cunning and like power hungry and, or like wants to be adjacent to power and has this like deep dark secret basically that he's guarding and I feel like in the movie oftentimes they just kind of show that like bumblingness you know like they make him a little maybe a little bit more goofy. I don't know if that's the right word for it, but just kind of... I think that if you just saw the movie, you wouldn't appreciate 
why Slughorn is a Slytherin, maybe. Yeah. I will say, I think I have a note later on. It's like um, the scenes that he is in are some of the scenes that are like so close to the book. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know, so like I guess some of them. Writing. Yeah, like some of them are just so close to the book. And I do really think a lot of them are very well acted in my opinion like the scene where harry finally does get the memory from slughorn i really appreciated mm-hmm. the way he acted that and kind of like you understand the pain of like harry's pulling on his heartstrings about lily so he's in pain because of that but he's also like so torn and in pain because he's so ashamed of what he's done and i think i can really get like both of those like motivations out of his acting mm-hmm. um and the acting with Tom with the real memory I think is also fairly good just like in general I get that like his character is kind of like it's almost like a parallel to what I was saying about the movie later it's like you don't really understand what he's trying to be yeah or like what this character's purpose is a lot of the time um but I'd say in general like his scenes are really close to the book and I think they are acted fairly well in general like his big scenes are at least you know like with Harry with Tom um at the very beginning when Harry and Dumbledore go to recruit him like that scene from like start to finish is almost like exactly like it Mm -hmm. is in the book because in the book it's that quick and I think that's why it was so easy for them to like pull almost directly from the book Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah. I think it might be more of like this smaller scenes and yeah like, like his him as a teacher i think as is a like teacher. where that comes out mm-hmm. yeah yeah but i don't love the look of him like he does not yes. look like slughorn does to me yeah and i remember having that instinct i don't know how old i was when this movie came out but i remember like when this is one of the few ones where like i remember how i felt about the casting at the time Mm. and i was like not a fan of this casting i was like he does not look like professor slughorn to me Mm -hmm. so the next one we're going to talk about is jesse cave as lavender brown and this is like a recasting i believe we've talked about this in the past even though like I don't think Lavender Brown had ever been named on camera to us before. No, but she was um, named in credits. She, yeah, named in credits and just kind of like a Gryffindor student in the background was chosen to be Lavender Brown kind of thing. Um, and I think Jessie does like a, like a fairly good job. She makes Lavender Brown, I think, more of a character caricature than she is in the books which yeah I feel like is kind of hard to do because in the book she's like <laughs> fairly over the top um and like I think the acting and the writing like I'm not going to put this all in Jesse Cave because actors really can only for the most part especially young actors in a movie like Harry Potter you really only do what you're told for the most part mm-hmm. like I don't think they have a whole lot of creative freedom um <laughs> I think the acting and the portrayal of Lavender Brown in this movie really adds to the negative perception that fans have of Lavender Brown. Like, I'm not saying that she's, like, a 10 out of 10 character in the book. Like, obviously, I have problems with her in the book, too. But just, like, this over-the-top character of her, like, really takes it over the top and is probably one of the reasons why Lavender Brown doesn't have a whole lot of defenders within, like, the casual Harry Potter fan community. Yeah. I'll say a couple things. Um, 
I think it's interesting because as you were saying that, I was thinking about her portrayal in the book. And in the book, she's always, like, talked about through Harry's perspective. Like, obviously Mm. everyone is through Harry's perspective, but, like, she's not around a ton. Like, they're often just, like, oh, Ron's in the corner with Lavender. (laughs) Or, like, oh, Ron and Lavender did this, or Ron said this about Lavender. Yeah. Um, It's, like, very much in passing, which, like, a lot of it is in passing in the movie, but, like, you're also seeing it. Yeah. And so I think, like, maybe her going over the top is, like, I don't know, maybe it's, like, a fact of, like, we don't really know what her character is from a more, like, objective perspective in the book. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's always kind of, like, through Harry's perspective, which is very, like, just kind of rolling his eyes. Yeah, I do think for me, like, one of the biggest indicators of Lavender Brown's personality is that, like, Yes, she has, like, her really, her only other storyline in the books is, like, her divination kind of storyline, I feel like. And even with that, they are, like, fairly annoyed with her. Yeah. But they don't, like, talk shit about her constantly, like, before Half-Blood Prince. So I think that they had, like, a fairly, like, friendly relationship with her. Like, yeah. Hermione lives with her. <laughs> yeah. Again, something that I cannot imagine happening between the two characters that are on my screen in Half-Blood Prince. Like, yeah. So. Um, the other thing I'll just direct people to, or remind people of, is that Jesse Cave, like you mentioned, was, like, the third actress to play Lavender. Yeah. The previous two in the series were um, black girls. I guess we can call them girls. Like, they're pretty young young (laughs) they're like 11 and 12 yeah um and of course when we see lavender become a named character in the movies she then gets portrayed by a white woman um if you want to hear about our conversation with that i would just direct you to our lavender episode um because we have a long conversation about it that we don't have time to talk about right now. Yeah, I will say with Jessie Cave specifically, sorry, I just thought about this. She is, like, still fairly active on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm trying to think. She was just, like, I think she was, like, fairly floating around the internet in the past year. I think she, had like, had her baby got COVID, I believe, like, mm-hmm. an infant. Um, and she, like... I don't know. That was, like, a news headline I think I remember seeing. So she is, like, still fairly active, and I think she does, like, a lot of... I don't want to, like, speak out of turn, but I think she does do, like, quite a bit of, like, advocacy. She just seems like a fairly cool girl in general Yeah. her social media. I feel like she's often included in the, like, when people are really hating the author, they're like, let's, like, turn to the real woman of Harry Potter, and it's like... Emma Watson, who's an activist, uh, yeah. Bonnie Wright, who's like an environmental activist, yeah. uh, Katie Leung, and I feel like people throw Jessica Cave in there, but I don't, I feel like there's like often four of them. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so then just a couple special effects things. Um, this is the first time we see Apparition, um, and it's portrayed as kind of this like twisty throwing you around type thing which I guess is like what it 
is described as in the movie, in the books, but I always just kind of thought it looked a little silly and maybe over-dramatized because, like, I think maybe that's how it feels, like, the first couple times you do it, but then, like, apparition becomes second nature to wizards. And so I think it's, like, a little, yeah, over-dramatized, a little goofy, um, and I could, I don't love it. Yeah, I don't either, because I think in the book, they always, at least, like, during the apparition lesson, Wilkie Twycross always talks about, like, spinning into it, Mm -hmm. and so, like, I kind of always pictured it, like, like the cloak, turn. like, flies up, and you, like, when you turn around, you're not there anymore. You know, like, that kind of thing. hmm Not so much this, like... Like, going down into a ball. Yeah. I don't know if... I don't like that. Um, and then the the other special effects that we're going to talk about right now is the inferior special effects, and I'm just going to expand that to, like, the cave scene, because, like, that is all special effects. Like, that was not mm-hmm. filmed on location. That was, a like, a set like a green green screen set um and I honestly think like it holds up like obviously this movie is not like super duper old like the first one is like (laughs) CGI has come a long way since the troll in the bathroom um I think the inferior look creepy Mm -hmm. which I think is a good thing they don't look silly at least in my opinion um, which I feel like when things are like poorly generated, they can make them look silly if they're su- even if they're supposed to look creepy. But I think that they do look creepy. I think the fire animation looks really, really good. Fire is like one of the hardest things to like computer animate. Um, like fire and water are like the two things that are really hard to animate. Um, I think it looks good, and I think that the whole set and scene in general is like so beautiful like the shot of harry and dumbledore like sitting on that rock in front of the cliffs mm-hmm. with like the water is like so epic yeah and i don't think i really have any negative to say about it yeah at least the uh, set the scene yeah the setting of that scene so we'll get back <laughs> to the content of that scene later um Okay, so we're going to jump into the movie, and I don't remember if we said this, so I'll just remind people that we are, of course, breaking this up into two, and um, you won't have to wait two weeks until the next episode. They will be back-to-back releases. So, yeah, we're going to go through about the first half of the movie, and then catch us again in a week. Yep. (laughs) All right, opening. It's we not see, the two ministers. We do not see the two ministers. Katie's favorite opening uh, of a book. Um, we see the Death Eaters on the loose, which I guess is yeah. like a substitution for the minister meeting. Yeah. Um, um, it like it ties. It, it makes still has sense. that like tie to the Muggle world, which yeah. is like kind of the point of the first one to like show the effects, like of the first war. chapter to like show the effects of the war on the Muggles. Um. Yeah, I don't know, like, I wasn't as, like, watching it, I was just like, this isn't doing it for me. I feel like normally I don't have a problem with the opening scene, but for some reason this time I was just like... Do you think it's because we just recently, like, read it? Yeah, that might be it. I also wasn't super excited to watch this movie in general, so... (laughs) That's fair. Could have been that as well. (laughs) Um, But yeah, Audrey and I have been on the Millennium Bridge before together. (laughs) 
Um, I don't know if we can post that video of me again. I feel like we posted it like five times already. <laughs> I don't know that it's on our Instagram though, so. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but there's a video of me on the Millennium Bridge, and I'm, like, pretending that it's, like, collapsing like it does in the movie. <laughs> I looked like an insane person in <laughs> London in the morning. Um, I think I had, like, a pret a manger, pret a manger coffee in my hand. Like, how more British could I get? Um, uh, yeah, but yeah, that's really... <laughs> So the next scene is supposed to be Spinner's End because in the book it's actually like back-to-back two chapters not about Harry. Um, But they flip it around and they give you a little bit of Harry content. Harry and Dumbledore going to see Slughorn and then post like Harry arriving at the burrow they go to Spinner's End with the Black Sisters. I don't understand this Harry at the train station scene really at all. Like, I don't understand the purpose of it. I don't understand what, like, it furthers in this movie. The only thing I could maybe think of is that it kind of sets up the, like, King's Cross um, in Seven. Oh. Like, his, like, train station, you know, like. I guess. I don't, like, that is literally the only thing I can think of. This beautiful woman being there is unnecessary. Yeah. Um, I, maybe that's, like, a setup for, like, a romance, like, okay. But, like, Harry had romance, this isn't the first time we've seen Harry, like, be attracted to a woman, like, Order of the Phoenix, he has this whole thing with Cho, you know? I just, I really don't understand it, and the flirting in the scene is so weird, and, like, Harry should not be reading the Daily Prophet, like, out in public in front of muggles, like, none of this should be a thing that is happening, like, the Dursleys generally don't like him out of the house in public. Yeah. Yeah, and so, speaking of the Dursleys, like, this is all supposed to happen where Dumbledore, like, comes to the Dursleys. Oh my god, this scene is so good. And it's good, and they call on Creature, um... To see if Harry, like, inherited Sirius's estate, um, which is, like, Creature and Dobby, just not in the movie at all. Sirius is not a thing in this movie at no. all. Except when Bellatrix runs around yelling, I killed Sirius Black. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, like, that's so far, like, at the end of the movie, it's, like, Harry should, like, Harry's godfather died, like, weeks before we cut to this, like, him yeah. flirting with this beautiful woman at a train station. <laughs> like, it's, what? Yeah. Um, and also, like, in the train station, like, it's heavily implied that, like, Harry doesn't know Dumbledore's coming. Yeah. But, like, he's supposed to know Dumbledore's coming in the book. Like, that feels like something Dumbledore wouldn't do, like. Yeah. I don't know. The whole thing is very, very weird. At Universal Studios Florida, if you take the Hogwarts Express between Islands of Adventure and Universal Studios, um, you go through, if you're coming from... Universal Studios, those are the two parks at Universal, which yeah. is confusing because why is one of your parks named Universal Studios when your whole theme park is called Universal Studios? <laughs> That's problem number one I have with Universal in the long list. Um, but on the Universal Studios side, it's like you're going through the London Underground, mm-hmm. um, whereas like you're coming from Hogsmeade on the Islands of Adventure side. So like they mm-hmm. theme like each stop and when you walk through the like London underground part um they have that billboard the like it's like magic 
yeah. billboard or whatever, which I think is pretty cool. But yeah, fun fact, they have that same billboard. That is a cool fact. Okay, so the next scene is, of course, they apparate um, and go to Slughorns. And I, my, like, big takeaway from this scene is just something that's always kind of bothered me. And I always thought it was a little weird that Slughorn, like, just has on display his mm. photos in someone else's house. Like, <laughs> the implication is that he's kind of, like, on the run. And he's only staying places for, like, a week at a time. <laughs> and it's like this in the book, too. Like, it's not yeah. a gripe with the movie. It's just, I guess it's, like, easier with magic to just, like, set yourself set up, up and pack up and everything. But I just thought it was, like, a little, it feels a little forced just so they can, like, get something about Lillian. Mm. How do we feel about how Dumbledore's hand looks? I think it's fine. Um, I guess I didn't never pay attention. Does it get like progressively worse? Yeah, because I think in the scene in the cave, like it's all the way up to like his elbow. Oh, interesting. I think. Um, okay. Yeah. Like I said, I have like so there's such a quick transition from like Dumbledore showing up at the train station to them going to see Slughorn, and like if we are under the impression that Harry didn't even know he was coming, that's just like, it's like what is happening right now? It's yeah. too fast. Um, my other note is Slughorn as a chair. He like that chair looks so out of place. Yeah. Like everything in that room is so dark. It's like glowing. Yeah. Everything is, like, ruined and, like, ripped, and this, like, satin chair is perfect. Like, it, it's so silly to me. And then the transition from chair to person is not something I love. It's not how the magic would work. No. Um, but like I said before, this scene in general is, like, really close to how it is in the book. Like, Dumbledore mm -hmm. leaves almost immediately. He, like, mm -hmm. doesn't really give Harry any explanation before going in. He's just, like... He keeps, like, wing. placing... And he keeps, like, placing Harry in front of Slughorn. Like. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, even when he comes back, he, like, asks to keep, like, the magazine for the knitting patterns, which is, like, word for word what it is in the book. And I think that, like, I just... It's a good scene. Like, it's very close to how it is in the book. And I'm yeah. impressed. So then Harry and Dumbledore are supposed to, like, apparate to the burrow together. Dumbledore talks with him. It tells him that he's having lessons. They have a conversation about, like, not being reckless at the burrow because the Weasleys are going through a lot. Like, it's, like, very much, like, a, I think when you're in, when you're reading the book, having just come from Order, where, like, that whole, like, plot line, basically, of, like, Dumbledore avoiding Harry, you're like, okay, things are gonna be different in this book, like, we're gonna get a lot of Dumbledore and Harry interacting, like, Dumbledore's taking Harry, like, back under his wing more, and that's just, like, completely dropped in the movie, he just, like, I don't even know how this works, he just, like, drops Harry in, like, yeah, well, he does say, as they're leaving, the I think this is post talking with Slughorn. He's like, Slughorn will try to collect you, Harry. So, like, he does, yeah. like, set that up a little bit, but he doesn't have this, like, conversation with him in the shed. Yeah. The Weasleys, like, he should. Exactly. Um, and they make Harry's arrival to the burrow a lot more, like, lighthearted. 
you know, with, like, Ginny finding his stuff and being like, oh, when Harry get here? How are you? Harry Potter, yeah, of course. Like, I like that scene. It's, it's very cutesy. Yeah. Um, and it establishes, like, Harry and Ginny a little bit. But in the book, it, it like, I feel like there's a lot more, like, weight to this scene. Um, because, like, Dumbledore brings Harry in, talks to Molly, Tonks is there, like, crying or all depressed. Um, and then, like, when Arthur shows back up, like, you hear about how he's been overworked and you hear him and Molly, like, their exchange and there's the point of the clock being, like, everybody in mortal peril. Um, so I think, like, that scene in the book is used to, like, show the effect of the war on the Weasley family so far. Yeah. And in the movie, they're just, like, like, they often do in this movie, like you were saying, and we were saying at the beginning, like, they just kind of make it, like, a little, little goofy. Yeah. I just, I really like the image of them, like, all yelling at each other from, like, different floors, because I yeah. such, like, a family thing to do, to just, like, if you're in the house with your parents or your sibling, just be, like, just yell for them. Exactly. And hope that they hear you. <laughs> <laughs> uh and then, like, everybody comes down, and Hermione and Ron have their really awkward, like, toothpaste moment that, like, everybody turns around and, like, looks at to make it mm-hmm. even more awkward. <laughs> um, and then, like, Harry, Ron, and Hermione have this, like, moment in Ron's room. Yeah, where they're using magic to keep the fire going. Yes. <laughs> um, and I just, like, really don't like this scene that much at all like I don't think the acting is very good in it yeah um it seems like really awkward and then like the Hermione's laugh like it always seems like a blooper to me and like so out of place and like Harry and Ron like aren't even really laughing like it just is so weird to me yeah um also in this scene they like talk about uh Mrs. Weasley not wanting Ron and Jenny to go to Hogwarts and I think this is, like, in their replacement so they don't have to, like, have all that discussion with, like, other students that... Because, like, the movies are big about, like, making any student that's not, like, the Golden or Silver Trio, like, kind of non-existent at Hogwarts. Um, and so they, like, I guess make that so that they don't have to, like, have other... Um, other students have, like, their parents being concerned about them being away during the war but like I don't know Mrs. Weasley like wouldn't like she worries but like she wouldn't not send the kids to Hogwarts with Dumbledore like that's just unrealistic yeah um the next scene is Spinner's End I have yes it is okay um and so like it shows like Narcissa and Bellatrix like showing up at Snape's house and the scene where like Wormtail's face like shows up in the like glass of the window is so creepy and I really (laughs) like it um and like pulling Timothy Spall back for like that one scene is like this poor man oh I know um (laughs) he's like not even in it like I will does he even say anything (laughs) like Oh man! Oh yeah, no, I don't think he has a line. I, I don't know right. because they like he opens the door and then I think it like cuts to them in the room. Like I don't even know if it shows them like walking through the house. Yeah, no. <laughs> so then it cuts to like Snape 
And no, and then Snape is just like closes the door on him. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. This, this poor man. Um, <laughs> so then it gets to like Snape, Bellatrix, and Narcissa like in Snape's like living room or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Narcissa is asking for his help with Draco. And I think yes. this scene is very good. I think that for me, the like juxtaposition of like Emma Watson, Daniel Radcliffe, and Rupert Grant in the scene before cut to Alan Rickman, Helen McCrory, and <laughs> Helena Bonham Carter. Like the acting parallel, like the jump in the quality <laughs> of acting is insane yeah. between these two trios. Like the subtlety of like kind of the tension between all three of these people mm-hmm. and like kind of they all want to say something but like don't really want to say it out loud. Yeah. Like just the quality and acting just goes through the roof in my opinion. Like it's yeah. kind of like literally watching like men among children kind of thing, you know, like adults yeah. among children. Yeah. I think, um, the scene, I think it does capture like the, the mood really well. Um, it is longer in the book. It's like a whole chapter yeah, in the book. Yeah. And, they actually, like, have this whole thing before they get to even talking about helping Draco. Um, Bellatrix basically, like, questions Snape on, like, Mm -hmm. his allegiance and makes him detail, like, the last 16 years. Um, Yeah. And I think... I think that I would have liked that to be kept in the movie because I think the whole, like, Snape reveal in the movie as, like, he wasn't actually a bad person I think becomes I think it's like more unexpected in the movie in like not necessarily a good way whereas like in the book like you know that like people within the Death Eater camp don't trust him Mm -hmm. and I think that like adds to the like back and forth of it whereas like in the in the movie you're led to believe like he is a bad person you're you're pretty much entirely led to believe until like you see the memories that he's a bad person and that like he was fooling the good side all along and I think it's like more like jarring if you had just watched the movies to be like oh shit like he was actually good like so I think just like having Bellatrix in there questioning him would kind of add to that um yeah that back and forth that you're constantly doubting and Snape is obviously like a big part of this book like it's called the half-blood prince he is the half-blood prince yeah i mean i think like from what i remember of this scene there is a little bit of like bellatrix showing showing hesitation with telling state this information and that maybe that's Mm. like them trying to get across that like bellatrix doesn't really trust him um but like the scene where bellatrix questions him is so good and is so important like to snape as a character because it establishes like, Snape's, like, alibi. Yeah, but then also, like, it bookends at the end of this book where, like, he kills Dumbledore, which yeah. just throws into further question, like, what is going on with Snape? Like, do we trust him? Do we not? Is he good? Is he bad? And I feel like they take a lot of the complexity out of his character in this movie specifically. And I'll talk about that later in part two as well with something else with Snape. Um, but then we have the unbreakable vow 
Um, and I do have a note here that this scene does happen, like, fairly quickly. Yeah. Um, the Unbreakable Vow, I really like the visual of. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just, like, very... I think it's similar to how it's described in the book, you know, like, the gold threads. threads and I think it's just very, like, pretty understated magic like it's not trying to do a lot but you can Mm -hmm. tell the significance of it yeah and it just like I don't know I just like the gold threads are kind of cool the way they like wrap around I really like that too um also Beldrix like whispers as she does the vow and I feel like she's either like always whispering or always (laughs) screaming there's just no in between And it just, like, kind of makes you on edge whenever she's on screen in, like, the best way possible. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, In the next scene, it cuts to Weasley's Wizard Wheezes. Yes. So just one thing that, like, one note is that there's no fleur at the burrow over the summer or um, at Christmas. So, like, she's not in this movie at all, which is, like... A big plot point within the Weasley family that gets left out. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Weasley's wizard wheezes. I simultaneously love and hate the twins' outfits because I think that they're like so funny, but they're so bad. <laughs> um Yeah, they are really bad. I think this is like the only time they're on screen this movie. Um, because I they are do on we see them at Christmas? at Christmas. Okay, but they, they one of them might have one line. It's very much in mm. passing, like in the kitchen. Mm, I see. It's like very short, which in the book, like it is kind of fairly short. Um, but they they don't have like a real heart to heart with Harry like they do in the book. Mm. Um, where they like give him stuff and they're like, thank you so much for your help. Like we couldn't have done this without you. And like, they have kind of like a touching moment with Harry and they're like so proud to like show him around the store and like show him everything that they've Mm -hmm. done. Um, which I think is really cute. Yeah. Um, and they introduce a lot of the romances in this scene. Yes. Around so, the love potion station. Yeah. Like, whoa. Yeah, we hear he they ask Ginny about Dean and then you see Cormac, even though like he hasn't been introduced as a character, he's like eyeing up Hermione. Which is like very much a movieism. Like upon this read through of the book, I like realized that he never like really goes out of his way to express interest in Hermione in the book. Mm. But, like, then Hermione takes him to Selkorn's party, like, just to piss Ron off. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was interesting. And then Lavender, like, says hi to Ron. Um, yeah. She's got her sights on him. <laughs> um, Cormac is so attractive. <laughs> um, you can also see him on Bridgerton. He plays a duke of somewhere, oh. a prince of somewhere, oh the like God. Eastern European country. Yeah, I yeah, I never put that together. Are you serious? <laughs> I like saw so many like jokes and memes about it. Um, but yeah, no. you can see him on Bridgerton. Great internet presence, and he looks exactly the same. Like yeah, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't put that together. <laughs> I um. mean, like he's got like his hair and like 
like his hair is done differently, obviously, because like Bridgerton doesn't take place in the 21st century. Yeah. Um, like his face looks almost exactly the same. Listen, I was focused on other things. <laughs> Could it have been the Duke? Hey, scenes by any chance. Um, I have a note here that is why are love potions legal? Like, this is not okay. And as we see later, like, they should be illegal. Like, I don't really understand. Like, it's basically, like, not to, like, take a serious turn here, but it's basically, like, roofing somebody. Yes, yeah. Um, not a fan. (laughs) Um, so... Then Harry and Ron, Harry, Ron, and Hermione, like, follow Draco, which this kind of gets taken out of context, because in the movie, in the book, there's the Madame Malkin scene, mm-hmm. um, and he, he's with his mom, and then he's oh, not with his mom when he goes to Bergen and Burks. Um, like, there's not supposed to be all those people there at Bergen and Burks, but I guess they're, like, trying to introduce us to, like, these are Death Eaters, like, you'll, you'll you're see, see them these later. <laughs> Um, the trio, like, climb up on the roof, which Yeah, what is that? So extra. In the movie, in the book, they're just, like, under the invisibility cloak, because Dumbledore, in the conversation that he had with Harry, that is not in the movie, says, like, I want you to have your invisibility cloak on you at all times. Yeah. Um, but yeah, them climbing up on the roof is, like, too much for me. (laughs) Okay, so the cabinet in this movie... I, like, paid attention to it in this rewatch more than I have in the past. And, like, it is set up so obviously. Like, they're... Like, in the book, the setup of this cabinet is, like... they You see, like, Draco at Borgen and Burks. Like, they don't even, like... First off, in this scene, they don't see what's going on. They only hear what is going on. Because... There's a line where Draco's like, I can't carry that out of the store. Like, what would I look like? And that's why Harry's like, I bet he was talking about the necklace. Like, why would Draco, like, walk out of the store with a necklace? So it's not even, like, confirmed that he was looking at this cabinet. And then later, like, obviously we see the scenes with him, like, messing with the cabinet, which we don't see in the books. But then there's literally a scene later where it cuts to Borgen and Burks and yeah. you hear the bird and see the cabinet. Like, yeah. it is so obviously set up. And I don't know if I have, like, a real problem with it. It's just, like, in the book, it's so much, like, better done. Sorry, that was not correct grammar. Right. Because, um, like, it's so subtle. And, like, to be fair, it has been, like, teased in previous books as well, which we don't really have in the movies. But... It's just, like, it's such a focal point of this movie, which is so weird to me because it's not a big deal in the book until, like, you figure out what was going on this whole time. Right. I agree with that. And, and I mean, I guess, like, you can argue, like, most people who see the movie are supposed to have read the book. So, yeah. like, it's not a reveal in the movie because, like, you already know what he's doing if you've read yeah. the book. But um, that is a good point. Like, it, it just comes up so much. And it's just, like... I guess that's their way of, like, making you be like, oh, like, what's Draco up to? Draco's doing something important. Because Draco has no speaking lines in this movie at all. I realize that. Yeah, until until the end. Like, he's just, like... 
Yeah, I don't even really think he says anything to Harry in the bathroom scene. Like, you might hear him, like, say a spell, but, like, that is it. Yeah. And also, I just, since we're talking about Draco now, his fucking suits, I I can't. Why is he always wearing a suit? What 16-year-old boy goes out of their way to wear suits? Literally, like, all the time. Like... I think the only time he's wearing his uniform is when they're in the bathroom. Yeah. And even then, it's just like a button down. It's like a white button down and like black pants. And the like, the green tie. But I just like, I don't know. The suits really drive me crazy. I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, also going back to the cabinet, Draco is like caressing it in this scene. It's like so weird. (laughs) And then like one of those Death Eaters that we see is Fenrir. Yeah. And I think he looks pretty creepy, which is a good thing. So, we love that. Yeah. Um, so, now we're on the train scene, I believe, is next. Yes, and Arnold makes a cameo. Yes. My Arnold favorite character. does make a cameo. <laughs> <laughs> um, they show Ginny being nice to Luna, which is I like because Luna, like, mentions it later in the book. She says something about how, like, Ginny's gone out of her way to, like stand up for her and stuff which just warms my heart um so harry's supposed to be on the train with neville and luna Mm -hmm. and then go to slughorn's carriage yeah there's no prefix at all yeah none of that um but of course we don't have any of that and it's just like skip right to harry spying on draco yeah, well, so we get the first appearance of these creepy <coughs> twins that we don't know who they are, and they are just background Slytherin characters that later show up at the Slug mm. Club. Um, mm-hmm. I don't really understand the purpose of them, if I'm being <laughs> honest. Um, but yeah. And then there's little to no setup as to, like, why Harry is so suspicious of Draco. Because there is not that Madame Malkin scene. Which, like, is why Harry thinks that, like, Draco has a dark mark and is a Death Eater. He's just like, it was an initiation ceremony. Like, why would you have an initiation in a store? Yeah. Um, And, like, Voldemort wasn't there. I feel like that might be an important person in this ceremony, Harry. Um... (laughs) And, like, Uh, I don't know, the whole, like, Harry Draco thing is, like, not super well done, but I also don't know how much I can blame them because it's not, like, it's not super compelling television to, like, watch Harry watch Draco on the Marauder's Map as often as he does in the book, you know? So they're, like, trying their hardest. They're being, like, semi-successful, I guess. So Harry goes, and then I have another question, like, why is the train different? at this section like there are I don't know it's like not carriages yeah it's like um, all open and they're not compartments like I don't know if we're supposed to be led to like if we're led to believe that this is like the better part of the train but like I would rather have my own compartment than like be open to everybody so like I would argue that the compartments are the better part of the train I guess like maybe well no because he uses the Peruvian instant darkness power so powder so like they could just as easy have had easily have had him get into a compartment that way too. Yeah, they, well, that's so what I he does know. because he like sticks his foot where the door is shutting and like crab or goyles like jamming it, trying to jam it close. Yeah. And Harry's like, "My foot, my foot." <laughs> um, 
So Tonks is the one that's supposed to find Harry. Yeah. I said, give us more Tonks, but not movie Tonks. Give us more book Tonks. Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, also, like, Harry learns nothing by eavesdropping on them. Yeah. Yeah. There's literally nothing of importance is said. Um, which I guess, like, nothing of, like, real importance is said in the book, but... I don't know. Yeah. I feel like you get more hints in the book. Yeah. Um... Oh, why then, was Luna walking by herself when nobody else was on the train? Like, what was the purpose of that? I think they put Luna in just, like, they used Luna there because they were like, we don't have to explain anything she does. Like, she's Luna. <laughs> um, yeah, so then, I don't know, he gets up to the Great Hall. Do you have anything before that? I have, um, oh, lovely, Draco getting to break the rules because Snape can vouch for him, like... Okay. Yeah. Because, <laughs> like, they're, like, they show this scene, like, highlights the extra security that's around Hogwarts. Like, we sh- they show the, like, Fidelius charm or whatever it is, like, the protection charm. And then mm-hmm. they show, like, people going through the student's belongings, and somebody pulls out this, like, they're, like, this cane. And he's, like, you idiot, it's a walking stick. I'm, like, oh, my God, how <laughs> pretentious can you get? Um, is that supposed to be his dad's, like? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if we're led, we're supposed to believe that, like, his wand is still in there, but, like, I think we are because, obviously, he doesn't have his wand with him right now, so, because mm. he's in Azkaban, um, and so, like, the security people are like, you can't have this, in, or, or, I think Filch is actually this one, um, is the one going through the stuff, and Snape's like, don't worry, I can vouch for him, and it's like, okay, Snape, yeah. like, I trust you. Um. <laughs> So then we cut to the Great Hall, and Hermione's, like, freaking out. Where's well, Luna Harry? fixes Harry's nose. Sorry, we didn't say oh, that. Oh, yes, that. Um, and Hermione's just, like, holding a book, and I think it's just so she can hit Ron with it. Like, yeah, I'm like, why is she holding She definitely wasn't reading during the sorting ceremony. Like, Hermione yeah. isn't. Like, she holds, like reverence for the sorting ceremony she's gonna be reading during it um and then Ginny asks about why is it he's always covered in blood um so worried about her future husband (laughs) also the like towel or whatever Harry's holding has so much blood on it like (laughs) too much blood I would almost say like I've never broken my nose so I don't know how much blood comes out but like the amount that was on this towel like it should have been pouring out of his nose <laughs> there's way too much blood on it okay um so then we have Dumbledore's speech and he drops the name Tom Riddle and everyone's like oh like whisper 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 but like the whole point of the name Tom Riddle and the name Voldemort is that, like, not that many people know that Voldemort was Tom Riddle. Like, especially not those kids. Like, if he had said that, everyone would have just been like, what the fuck is Dumbledore talking about again? Like, yeah, I don't know, that just kind of, like, bothered me. Because, like, it's not common knowledge. Yeah. And I think that, like, it continues to not be common knowledge until, like, seven. Until, like, Harry calls him Tom in front of everyone. Yeah, like, in the Great Hall. Yeah. 
Um, anyways, I don't really have much to say about this speech except for like it was a very much of a downer of a walking <laughs> welcoming speech. Like yeah. way to set the mood, Dumbledore. Yeah. Um, they show Malfoy being moody so many times in this movie, which just like adds to what you were saying earlier. Like he doesn't have any lines. They just show him like brooding. <laughs> yeah. Which I guess makes girls have crushes on him. I don't know. <laughs> He's just like always kind of there. Like in the three broomsticks, I think we see him like mm. prior, like to set him up for giving like Katie Bell the necklace. Even though he's not supposed time. to be there. Yeah, Crab and Goyle are the ones who's no. supposed to handle that. It's it's Rosemurda. Because he's had her under the Imperius curse the whole time. Mm. You're right, you're right. Um, and then it cuts to, like, one of my favorite scenes, I think. Um, like, Harry and Ron are, like, goofing off. They're, like, kind of... And in the book, it kind of... cap. I think it captures their, like... There's a scene in the book where Harry and Ron are like, oh my god, we have a free period, like, we're gonna have so much free time, like, we're just gonna get to goof off, and I think that they have this feeling of, like, that they're big men on campus now, you know, they're, like, seventh years, um, they, like, know what's going on, they, like, know pretty much everybody at school, Yeah. and so they're just, like, goofing off, and McGonagall's like, Potter, come here! Um, and she like has him go to potions, which I think is really interesting because like the whole Harry Slughorn thing, like, I wonder why Dumbledore wasn't like, Harry, you have to take potions, Yeah, you know, to like further this like Harry Slughorn relationship. Cause I don't know, like, I guess like he still would have been invited to the slug club kind of no matter what. So they Mm -hmm. could have had like a relationship that way, but. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's how Ron and um well also sorry, going back a little bit, in this same scene, McGonagall like says something like that's the ladies' restroom or something yeah. to like somebody who's trying like it's just so I feel like it captures like school life really pretty the well chaos. and McGonagall <laughs> in this scene is like really good and yeah. I think it's a cute scene. Yeah. Um so then cut to potions. And, like, the the class, the potions class is a mess. <laughs> like, they throw everyone that they want you to, like, pay attention to. And also just, like, a lot of background characters in there. Like, Lavender's there. Neville's there. I think Dean and Seamus are there. And then, like, Katie Bell is in this class, even though she's supposed to be a seventh year. So, you can refer to our uh, potions episode for more about this, but it's supposed to be 12 students, four Slytherin, one of them being Draco, one being Blaze, four Ravenclaw, um, the Golden Trio, and Ernie McMillan. Like, that's it. Um, Romilda Vane, they put in this class. She's a fourth year, I think. Yeah, I was going to say, she's supposed to be younger. I think she's a fourth year, so it's kind of a mess, but they just use it to, like, put the students that they want to show, um... Because, like, we don't really see any other classes in this movie. Yeah. I mean, they're paying them, so they might as well get their money's worth out of those <laughs> actors. Um, but the scene of, like, Harry and Ron fighting over the book is really funny. I love that. Um, 
Um, Felix Felice is supposed to be gold, not clear. Yeah. Well, also, the Amortentia, the, like, smoke and vapor coming off of it, like, keeps changing colors. And how, like, all the girls are, like, drawn to it, I really have a problem with. Because, like, any gender should care about, like, love and being (laughs) loved. Like, it shouldn't just be an exclusively, like, girl thing. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And, like, maybe that is in the book. I don't remember exactly. I don't, I don't think it is. Um, but, yeah, I don't love that. Um, we don't see the Defense Against the Dark Arts class. With well, we Snape. see Seamus blow something up also in this potion stash. Oh, yep. Just got to call that out <laughs> because it's the best running gag in the movies. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we don't see Defense Against the Dark Arts with Snape. This is where, like, Harry gets a detention um, for sassing him. Uh, so we don't really don't like see Snape much as like a professor in this movie, um, and then I think the next scene is the first lesson with Dumbledore. Yeah. So how they cut to this is like they show Harry holding the Half Blood Prince book behind his back when he's being awarded the Felix Felicis, and it like cuts mm. to the diary on the desk yes. at Dumbledore's office, which I think is a really cool cut because I think it shows like not only is it like a book and book parallel, but it kind of like if you look deeper and probably like too deep into this, but like the parallel between like kind of Snape and Voldemort and like dealing with their past like childhood trauma through these two like books Mm. kind of thing because like Snape like throws himself into like lessons and potions specifically with this one textbook and then this is like Voldemort we're led to believe that like Voldemort like poured his soul into this book you know yeah um so yeah I just thought that was like a really cool parallel between these two like very important characters throughout this series of the book. Yeah, that's cool. Books. Sorry. Um, so, yeah, then we have Dumbledore's first lesson. He, like, pries a little bit about Hermione. And I think this is, like, presumably... We always point to the, like, Harry and Hermione dancing scene as, like, David Gates being a... a, a Harmony shipper? I don't know. Um, So I guess, I don't know. I never, like, picked up that this was maybe something that, like, got inserted because as a nod to that, Um, even though it's, like, Harry shutting down the fact that him and Hermione would be... Wait, so does this not happen in the books? It doesn't happen in the books. Oh, okay. For some reason, I thought I had a memory of it happening in the book. Yeah. I I don't know if I could have told you one way or the other, but no, it's not there. Mm. Um, well, so we have the first memory, though, from this lesson. Yes. The first so, of two memories, so I will say. This memory is not actually the first memory in the book. No. Um, so the book, the memories that we see are the Gaunt House, um, the Orphanage, Morphin Gaunt's memory when, like, Riddle has come to kill his dad, Hepzibah Smith. Voldemort coming to get the job and then as well as the two the like fake and the real Slughorn memories in the movie we see the orphanage which is this one in the scene and then we see the fake and the real Slughorn memory so like a lot gets cut out which I get that like you don't want the viewer to get like bogged down in like the intricacies of Voldemort's life and I think this is like what I was getting at earlier that like 
like Harry learning about Voldemort becomes like a, a side plot, even though that should be like the main plot. And like yeah. very much the main plot of the movie revolves around like leading up to Dumbledore's death and also just like the goings on of Hogwarts. Um, which makes it, I think, more like palatable to someone who doesn't know like exactly what a Horcrux is and all of these things. Um, more yeah. of like the casual viewer. I think that, I mean, I don't want to say I don't have a problem with them not showing the memories because, like, oh gosh, they, I wish they would have just done it. And, like, even if they were, like, deleted scenes, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. Or just, like, extra scenes. And I get that, like, there probably is, like, a good amount of, like, post-production that has to go into these scenes, especially especially with the way that they, like, show the memories mm. as kind of, like, dreamlike and mm-hmm. not realistic. Um, but I, it's just, like, it's such a bummer that they don't show them. And then kind of a consequence of them not showing them is later in the Slughorn memory, we see the ring on vault, like on Tom Riddle's finger Mm -hmm. and like what is supposed to be the significance of that? Like if you haven't read the book that Dumbledore has it later, I guess. uh, Yeah. It just like, it doesn't like, we don't, if you're a viewer who has not read the books and don't know anything that happens in this book, like you have, you don't really understand the significance of that ring at that point in time. And like, you don't know that like he's killed both of his parents. Um, or no, he's killed his father and Mm -hmm. his grandparents at this point in time that we're seeing this Mm -hmm. like 17 year old kid talk about murder. Yeah. Okay. What of those memories from the book if you could include one more, or like, n- maybe not even for plot purposes, but like, which one would you want to see? Oh, uh, that's so hard because I love the Gaunt House one, but I also love the Hepzibah Smith one. The like, first Gaunt House one. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, the first Gaunt House one. It would be it would be between those two, but the first Gaunt House one is probably the longest one. Yeah. From like just me like recalling everything that happens. So I'd love to see the Hepzibah Smith. I think that would also be, like, more, like, I feel like it would fit into a movie better, you know, like, because it's not as serious. It is, like, a little bit more comical and, like, seeing Tom's kind of charm in that moment because also we see Tom Riddle in that scene. We don't see him in the Gaunt House Mm -hmm. one. So you could, like, connect it a little bit better to the, like, Voldemort story because he's actually in it. Yeah. Yeah, probably the Hepzibah Smith one. My answer, I, I originally thought Hepzibah Smith, but I think I would say Voldemort coming for the job, even mm. though it's it's extremely brief. It's like very quick, yeah. but solely because I would want to see how they portrayed his appearance. Because we've talked about mm. this before, like how, yeah. how much his appearance actually changes. And I mm-hmm. think at that point, it's kind of like the last chance. Um, we have to see him before, like, maybe his full transformation, so. Yeah, also seeing the dynamic between, like, Dumbledore and Tom Riddle would be very yeah. interesting. Because in the memories in Chamber, I don't, it's supposed to be, like, Armando Dippet, I think. But I think they replaced it for Dumbledore. Yeah. Like, yeah. where, like, Tom kind of, like, passes Dumbledore in the memory. Yeah, I think so. I believe. But it's not really, like, a real interaction between the two people. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Yeah. 
The actual memory, going back to the movie, of the orphanage is, like, fairly good. Like, they cut out the whole beginning with, like, Dumbledore, like, getting Mrs. Cole drunk. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, I'm okay with. Because <laughs> um, I think they set almost everything up that kind of like the importance of that happens in that scene is like we learn that like he's a little bit a loner he's a little bit of an oddball it's so creepy yeah the kids at the orphanage like don't like to be around him like kids have gone missing around him Mm -hmm. like bad things have happened but I think like that's kind of alluded to at least in what we see with like the stolen stuff there's yeah. the photo of the cave that we see. There's, like, the seven rocks on the windowsill that people are like, it's the seven horcruxes. Mm. Um, yeah, and he's very creepy. Yeah. The child. <laughs> so this actor, the child, is, like, uh, Ralph Fiennes, like, nephew, I think. Yeah, I believe so. Um, two more things, or one more thing about the memories that in the book... At the beginning of the memory, Harry comments to, like, present-day Dumbledore about his suit. Because he's wearing, like, a three-piece <laughs> suit. Which I just thought that was funny because in the context of, like, Dumbledore. Yeah. yeah, he yeah. wears three-piece suits and Fantastic Bees. Yeah. Um, okay, so then after the memory, there's, like, a brief conversation with Harry and Dumbledore about what they saw. I don't really remember much of what they said, but I had a thought that, like... I feel like we often reference, like, Michael Gampin was a necessary Dumbledore actor for, like, the cave and the more, like, physical things he does in this movie, but I think Richard Harris would have been great Mm. for, like, the mysterious kind of, like, all-knowing, like, speculative, like, less, like, in the conversations with Harry in the lessons, I think Richard Harris would have been really good, and they, they cut a lot of those conversations anyway in the movie, um, but I would love to have, if, you know, rest in peace Richard Harris, but I would love to have seen um, him act some of those scenes, like, closely from the book. Yeah. Yeah. There's um, a line later in the movie that I'll talk about with the two Dumbledores. <laughs> okay. Um, we get a draffle shot. Yeah, we get Draco in the room of requirement with the vanishing cabinet. So this is the first time we see the vanishing cabinet at Hogwarts. Yes, I think so, yeah. Um, and the, British yeah. tryouts are next. Yeah, if, like, I do really like the Ginny, like, shut it scene. Yeah. But it is, like, weird to me that, like, she's portrayed as this, like, assistant captain. Yeah, I said When that's thing. not, like, really a thing in the books. Um, like, we do see that, like, not everybody has to try out again. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of weird. There's supposed to be, like, upwards of 50 people there, too. Um, yeah. Which, like, I feel like it's weird because in the movies they often have too many students around. But they, like, didn't have enough at tryouts. Um, yeah. Because, like, Harry, like, starts tryouts, but, like, making them, like, fly a lap around the pit. Oh, fly like, a lap around the pitch in, like, groups of ten. And he, like, he talks about, like, the first, like, four, like, he sent them all away. So, like, presumably there was, like, maybe, like, ten more people left that actually could try out. <laughs> so, like, that's, like, 50 people. Yeah. Um, and then we get some, like, Quidditch action shots, um, and my question is, why does Ginny have her hair down? Like, it doesn't seem like a very conducive thing. Um, I knew you were gonna say that, because I noticed it, and I was like, (laughs) oh my god. (laughs) 
women not having their hair up while they're doing physical activities and like especially quidditch because if you're a person that has longer hair and you've ever like driven with the windows down oh or in a convertible like that's how i imagine it is flying on a broom like worse there's yeah, because like and you, and you like are turning yeah. a lot more than you are like at higher speeds. Yeah, hopefully, um, than you are in a car. Like, I don't really understand the physics of that. I feel like your hair would just be blocking your vision more than you could actually see. <laughs> but that's just one girl's opinion. <laughs> um, that really bothered me. Yeah. Um, I hate how they make it seem like Ron wasn't on the team last year. Like, he does have to try out again in the book, obviously. But, like, because they cut Quidditch from the order movie entirely, there's, like, not that background context. And, like, then in the game later, they don't sing Weasley is our king and, like, all of that. Yeah. And then Hermione performs the Confundish charm. And I have a note here that, like, does Hermione perform wandless magic? Like, yeah, that's what it looks like. Um, Okay. (laughs) Also, like, I don't know what the range of, like, a spell is, but I think she was, like, fairly far away. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Um, The next scene is, like, Harry in the common room with the book, and he finds Sectum Sempra, which, like, he's supposed to find it way, way later. Um, But I guess this is, like, a replacement for, like, him finding all of the other little spells like levy corpus and stuff in yeah the book um hermione wears velcro shoes throughout this movie <laughs> um and i really just can't handle it i think this is the first appearance of the velcro shoes or at least the first like on-screen appearance of them and i just really cannot handle it at all yeah um and I have a note here that this, like, Hermione-Ginny-Harry interaction is, like, really weird to me. Yeah. Like, it just seems very awkward. Well, because, like, Hermione is, like, like, asking Harry to give her the book, and then Ginny, like, just snags it from him. Um. Yeah, and the whole, like... The dynamics of Harry in this book is weird enough in the book, Half-Blood Prince, but I feel like it's even weirder in this movie because we don't have this setup of, like, Harry reading it every night before bed. Mm -hmm. Like, we only see one Quidditch class, or, sorry, potions class scene. Like, I feel like it's just not set up as much, so it's like, what is the deal with this book, Harry? Like, it just doesn't... Yeah make as much sense not that it makes like a whole lot of sense in the book either if i'm being honest (laughs) but yeah that's fair so then we have hogsmeade um hermione orders ginger and her butterbeer which sounds really good i'll just put that out there i would love to try that um and then we see Ginny like snogging dean in the corner and i guess it's supposed to like replace that kind of iconic scene where harry and ron walk in on them after quidditch practice and it's a bad replacement because that scene is like very chaotic very teenager very like sibling yeah because like jimmy and ron start yelling at each other in that and the whole time harry's like i can't tell if i'm mad because i think of Ginny as a sister or because i want to be the one kissing her it's like a really weird thing um okay so i have questions about hermione and butterbeer so, in this scene, we are led to believe that, like, Butterbeer is alcoholic, right? Because, like, yeah. Hermione starts acting a little bit tipsy. Yes. 
My other follow-up question with why is Butterbeer perceived as being alcoholic is why was Hermione, like, presumably trying to get drunk? Because we see her, like, down that Butterbeer. Like, she's (laughs) chugging it. So, like, if she knows that that is alcoholic and she's chugging it, I put two and two together. Like, she's trying to get drunk. No? Yeah, maybe. Why? I don't know. I, She's there's nervous no, being like, around Rob. Oh my god! <laughs> there's like no reason that she would be like she's uh, not freaking out about Dean and Jenny. You know, like it just makes no sense. Yeah, it does. I make don't no understand sense. the purpose of it. Yeah, there's no payoff either. Like it's not like she does something ridiculous and it's like oh Hermione, like she sobers up instantly when they see Katie. Like nothing comes of it. So I just don't understand it at all. Yeah. Um, they, there also are, like, the, each of the trio acts like they're drunk at some point in this movie. Like, when Ron <laughs> has the love potion, yeah. like, he's acting pretty drunk. And then, um, Harry with Felix Felicis is, like, kind of acting drunk. Um, so, you know, they're adults now. <laughs> um, uh. the scene with Katie when she, like, is suspended in there is, like, kind of Christ-like, um... I thought was interesting so this is a this is one of those scenes where it's like am I supposed to laugh or is this like serious because like we see Hermione's kind of like stumbling stumbling around and like they're like laugh she's laughing and then it cuts to like Katie kind of like spazzing around on the ground it's like oh is this like humorous like is this a joke or is this serious and like it very quickly turns to like serious but, like, if you don't know what is happening or what is about to happen, I could see you being like, oh, is this is this supposed to be funny, too? Yeah. You know? And yeah. there's another one of these later, too. Um, I think that there, it's supposed to be raining, maybe, but I, it's snowing I in think the it's, movie. Yeah. And also, yeah. like, Harry's supposed to run to get Hagrid, but in the movie it's just very, like, convenient that Hagrid just kind of shows up. Yeah, um, I was gonna say Harry doesn't hop into hero mode right now, which is like rare for him. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love the "Why's it always you" three line from McGonagall. Yeah. Like that's a classic one. And then Harry like goes on to accuse Malfoy, and Ron and Hermione's faces are like pretty spot on to like how they react in the book. Like Hermione's kind of like looks like astonished that Harry would say that, and like pissed at Harry for saying it. And then Ron is just like, God, like, fuck, not this again. Like, he's like, I'm just going to, like, pretend that I look like I'm not, don't know what's going on. So I'm not roped into this. Like, yeah, there's also been very little setup with the Harry Draco thing at this point. In the yes, movie. for sure. Because at this point in the book, he's brought it up to Ron and Hermione, like, once a day. Yeah. <laughs> and he's, like, followed him, I'm pretty sure, on the Marauders map at this point as well. Um... Okay, and then on the map, it just says Malfoy. It doesn't say Draco Malfoy, which bothered me. <laughs> and yeah, then... So this is, like, a little hint to the, like, stalking of Draco yeah. that goes on this in this book. And then this is the Harry-Ron combo about Ginny having nice skin. Okay, I also have a note about this that, like, let's say in an alternate universe, like, Harry's not attracted to Ginny. This is still a super weird conversation to have, Ron. Like, what? Like, I just, it's so weird. It's so weird. 
I think it's like, yeah, it's just very awkward. Um, I guess it's like Ron, like, like what is Harry supposed to say to that? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, Like she's got a hot bod, Ron. Like, what do you want me to say? Like, what? Um, so then we have a, a slughorn party, which, uh, the first party Harry's supposed to go to is the Christmas one, um, besides the one on the train, but that, this kind of, like, replaces the one on the train, like, a lot of the conversation is the same with, yeah, like, Cormac and, um, Marcus Belby and all of that. Oh, shoot. Speaking of Marcus Belby, so the actor who plays him, hold on, give me one second, I don't know his name off the top of my head. Um, Rob Knox, he was actually murdered, um, in 2008, so, like, not very long after this movie came out, or before this movie came out, this movie came out in 2009, um, he was, I believe, stabbed, Jesus. and, um, there's, like, a lot of, there's, like, a documentary, I think, about it that was, like, um, kind of like a, uh, I don't know what the word for it is. Like, it's not like professionally done. That makes sense. Like it was Mm -hmm. done by like groups, like in support of like keeping, like getting justice for him, I believe. Um, but yeah, if you're interested at all and kind of like learning about that and like learning what happened to him, I would look up some stuff online, but yeah. It's very sad. Yeah, that is really sad. Um, I also have a note here that the amount of ice cream in those bowls is insane. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's ridiculous. Um, when Harry stands up, like, oh my god. <laughs> Eye roll. I don't understand. And, like, Hermione whispering over, like, oh. Tina and Jenny must have been fighting. <laughs> oh my god. The whole like Harry Hermione relationship in this movie is really like I hesitate to say good because like I don't know if like Yates had ulterior motives for showing their relationship mm. throughout this movie. Um, but I think it's really interesting and I like their friendship dynamic throughout this movie, which will come up in like later scenes more obviously. Yeah, I think that's like one of the reasons why I like this book so much. Um, and also this movie is just, I just really like, like we always talk about Harry and Ron's friendship. Um, and I like highlighting that, like, like Harry and Hermione are also best friends, you know, like Hermione says, like, you're my best friend, Harry at times during this movie. And it's like, it's just like kind of heartwarming, you know? Yeah. Um, Okay, now we have the Quidditch match. And, like, why does Ron wear his helmet to breakfast? Like, what a dweeb. (laughs) Well, okay, super quickly before we get to the breakfast, Harry and Slughorn have a talk post-party, Oh, you're right, you're right. Um, Which I don't know what the content of this talk was. I just have a note here that, like, we've already talked about that. Like, I don't love the actor for Slughorn, but I really like his scenes and his acting. Um. Because I think this is an, a scene that is, like, fairly close to the book as well. Mm. Um, but, yeah. I also have a note, like, what is up with the pancakes that are on his plate? Like, what is that? 
the pancakes? It's like those. It's like you look down it because like he's like walks in and oh, like his plate. I thought it was toast. Like little triangles. Oh, I thought it was pancakes. I don't know. It just is. It's like set up in like this weird like square and yeah. an egg in the middle and then like little triangles on each side. Yeah. Like I don't understand what's happening. <laughs> um. Hermione's supposed to notice the Felix Felicis, not Luna. But I guess, I don't know, they just kind of throw Luna in at a couple places in this movie, which is fine, I guess. Like, you want to keep it relevant. I don't know. Yeah, there's also little to no, like, setup about Ron being so, like, insecure about his Quidditch abilities. Mm. Like, there's not really much going on with that. Like, we just see him being super nervous that morning. And, like, we don't hear Harry talking about, like, all he needs is confidence. Yeah. So then Quidditch starts, and we see, like, Ron being all, like, badass. And I guess this is the one Quidditch scene that we, like, I guess there were kind of two Quidditch scenes with in this the tryouts. movie. With the tryouts. And then this, but this is the one, like, game that we see. It is pretty abbreviated, and it's mostly just, like, a highlight reel of Ron. <laughs> like, we don't really see much of anything We don't see else. the snitch getting caught, which is, like... <laughs> the most important part of Quidditch no and then it cuts to like the Gryffindor common room and Ron's being like lifted up on people's shoulders and oh god <laughs> um yeah and then of course uh Ron and Lavender kiss and Hermione leaves and um she's like Harry comes up on her and she ha- she's already conjured the birds and she says something about like practicing for charms class but it's actually a transfiguration spell so <laughs> gotcha um, there. also harry's reaction like so like ron and lavender kiss and it like cuts to hermione and harry and harry's reaction is so funny because i feel like i don't know because i'm not like a dude I guess and I've never watched like my dude best friend make out with a girl before but like his reaction I just feel like it's so like quintessential like good for you Ron like let's go like oh my god it's so hilarious to me yeah um and then Hermione's like like what does it feel Harry like (laughs) watching Ginny and Dean like I see the way you look at Harry. You're my best friend. And Harry's just like, feels like this. And I just like, it's such a weird conversation, but they're so supportive of each other in their heartbreak. And we stand this friendship. <laughs> yeah. So they do love this scene because it really shows off their friendship. And like Harry kind of is just like being for her, being there for her. Yeah. Um, Hermione's Velcro shoes do make a comeback in this scene. (laughs) Um, And I really like that Harry is honest with her at this moment, too, because, like, it shows that, like, he knows how much, like, she needs the honesty right now. Mm -hmm. You know, like, him lying and be like, I don't like Ginny. I don't know what you're talking about, like, would be, like, insulting and, like, hurtful to Hermione in this moment. So I like that he is honest, Mm -hmm. you know. Those Weasleys are just causing a lot of heartache. Oh, my God. Um, the red hair. It's just irresistible. <laughs> so then when Ron shows up, like, the birds are supposed to, like, peck at Ron. Yeah. Um, not just kind of, like, go poof. Uh, yeah. It's a little more malicious in the book. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, it's a little bit more morbid in the movies with the birds just, like, exploding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I think the next scene is, like, the library, and they're talking about dates for Slughorn's Christmas party. Um, Hermione was under the impression she would go with Ron. Um, and then we get the, but I am the chosen one line. <laughs> Which is just like it's kind of a classic line. Like, I feel like when they have like the Harry Potter weekends. Oh my gosh, it's that's definitely in it's a, like always, highlight reel. Yeah, yeah, it's always in it. Um, um, also, the behind the scenes, uh, like the special features of this movie are amazing. Oh, the library scene. Yeah. So well, so like, there's like Daniel Radcliffe is talking about like how Emma Watson was like beating him with this paper and how like it. Like, it, like, I don't know. He's just, like, talking about how much it hurt. And it's, like, it's a newspaper. Calm down, bro. <laughs> um, but then there's, like, all these other little games. Like, they do, like, questions with the cast. Like, if you could bring one book to, like... Like, I think Tom Felton is acting as, like, a game show host in this one part. And he's, like, asking them all these questions. Like, interviewing them. It's, like, if you could bring one book onto a deserted island, what would it be? And I think, like, Emma Watson says, like, a Harry Potter book. And, like, one of the twins, like, one of the Phelps twins says, like, how to build a raft. And it's just, like, really funny. (laughs) They ask, like, vanilla, strawberry, or chocolate ice cream. Just, like, silly questions like that. And just, like, the special features of this are... So good. I <laughs> highly recommend watching them if you have the DVD. <laughs> um, so, yeah, here's an, another little, like, Harry Hermione thing is that Harry's like, oh, I kind of thought we could just go together to the party. And Hermione's <laughs> like, shit, like. Why, why didn't I think, I think of that? Of that? Um, and the book Luna's, like, so excited that. Yeah, we see him, like, actually ask yeah. in the book. And she's, like, very excited. And I think this is when she says something that, like, Ginny. And then, like, Ginny later in the day is like, oh, like, I'm so happy you asked Luna, Harry. Like, <laughs> it's all really cute. Um, I do, like, I will say in the movie it is kind of cute how, like, or maybe give cute's the wrong word, but, like, funny where he's like, I'm going to go with someone cool. And then, yeah. like, it cuts to him and Luna and it's like, okay. <laughs> Um, we see Drapple again. Yeah. Well, also, speaking of the special features, there's, like, a costume and makeup kind of section, and Ivana Lynch talks about how, like, she made all of, like, Luna's jewelry. Like, she made it herself, and she had, like, a lot of input, I think, in the design of the dress that she wore to Slughorn's party. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. And we get more Drapple. More Drapple. We see Cormac puking on Snape, which is, you know, some great physical comedy. Yeah. Neville in the waiter's uniform is, like, really adorable Aww. to me. I think he looks so cute. And you just get one shot of Ginny at Slughorn's party. It's very brief. Mm-hmm. Um, but she looks so pretty. She has on this, like, green dress. I don't really get, like, a great look at it because it's, yeah. like, really in passing. But I'd never really, like, I don't think I'd ever really noticed it before. And I, I think I like the dress. I liked the color. Um, but I would have to look at it again. There's also this scene, like, with Cormac. So, like, Harry and Hermione are, like, hiding. And then, like, Hermione's like, oh, shoot, Cormac's coming. And they, like, cut to a wide angle. And Harry is, like, covering for her. Yeah. He's like, go, go, go. And, like, stands in front of her and, like, kind of, like, shoes her away. And I just think it's so cute that he's, like, covering for her (laughs) and, like, you know, like, kind of distracting Cormac. I just think it's so cute. 
Yeah. Um, generally at the at the party, um, there's like Harry's with Luna a lot more, and they like have conversations with like Sanguini the vampire yeah. and like Professor Trelawney, and then when Filch comes in with Malfoy, like Slughorn invites Malfoy to stay at the party, and there's like a little conversation there before Snape like pulls him away, and Harry overhears that. And then we have that, like, they go home for Christmas break and we have that transition scene um, with Lavender on the train. And it just reminded me of the cosplay Lavender we yeah. saw. <laughs> that was amazing. Um, yeah. I think we've talked about it before, but it was yeah. this person cosplayed as Lavender at LeakyCon. And she was wearing, like, she looked exactly, like, dressed up like Lavender, had, like, the exact right outfit. And then, like, had... A, like glass pane hanging from her neck that was like had the R and L um, yeah. in the train carriage or compartment door. Yep. So then we're back at the burrow and Tonks and Lupin are there, and I don't yeah, really understand like together. Tonks's outfit. Yeah. <laughs> also, like, so there's later on, like in this sequence of scenes, like at the burrow, I think Lupin, like Tonks, says something about like calls him honey or no Tonks calls him sweetheart and like is this the only like the first indicator that we have of them being in a relationship <laughs> I think and it the is the only one because then later in seven they're like Tonks is like we have news to share with everybody and then we never even hear that news so like if somebody has only watched the movies like do you understand what is happening between these two people or no I think maybe at the very end when they're shown holding hands when they're dead, you might be like, oh, shoot, Did oh, they, were they together? Did they have a romance? Not, oh, they're married and have a child. <laughs> like, what? Uh, yeah, there's a lot of people not at the borough that are supposed to be there. They're supposed to have Fleur and Bill, and they're supposed to be listening to Celestina Warbeck. <laughs> the queen. Um, yeah, and... Obviously, like, Christmas Day at the borough, there's supposed to be a lot of stuff going on. You know, the uh, Percy shows up with... Scrimjar. Scrimjar, and there's that whole conversation where Scrimjar is like, you're Dumbledore's man through and through, aren't you, like, Harry? Yes, and he's I like, am. yeah, I am. <laughs> Which going to do about it? So instead, for Christmas at the borough, we get... Uh, we get Ginny feeding Harry. Well, okay, Ron first sitting off, in between them. So Ginny comes to sit down, and Tonks and Lupin have already left, so it's just Arthur, Ginny, and Harry. And Arthur's like, yeah. I'm going to see myself out. Like, I do not need to be here in this moment in time. And so Arthur has enough tact to get up and leave. And then we have Ron come in and sit right in between the two of them. It's like, bro, yeah. your dad <laughs> had enough tact to leave them alone. Like, bro. Yeah. And Harry and Arthur have had this conversation about, like, Malfoy at this point and Dumbledore and stuff. Um, so well, yeah, he has this after, actually. It cuts to Arthur and Harry in the garage post oh, the okay. feeding scene. But, yeah, it's, like, right around the same time. Tonks' hair is terrible. Her outfit's we have terrible. the fucking shoe-tying thing scene. Yeah. Well, so the scene in the garage, I just want to say the set of the garage, I think, is really cool. I love it. Like, there's, like, mm. the stack of typewriters in the background that we can see and just, like, all these, like, little muggle artifacts and stuff that Mr. Weasley has in his garage. Um, but the content of the scene is nothing outstanding. Yeah. 
Okay. And then the shoe and then, and then the worst scene that is ever added to the movies. This is the hill I will die on. <laughs> like, it's, I guess, just there for some excitement. Um, because this movie is very much like day-to-day life. Um, I can't justify it. I can't even make proper notes. It's just like, I hate it so much. I haven't said what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the attack on the borough. Um, it just makes no sense. Okay, so something that just came to my mind. So I was just thinking, like, why would they put the action sequence in this, like, in the middle of the movie as opposed to at the end of the movie where the action sequence should be, you know, like the Battle of the Astronomy Tower. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I can think of is that they didn't want to take away from, like, Dumbledore's death. Like, they didn't Mm -hmm. want anything else kind of, like, going on around that. But they still wanted to have this, like, action sequence. Okay. So, like, that's really, like, the only thing I can think of. It does, like, they could have just, like, the Inferiors, like, a pretty action-heavy sequence. Yeah. Um, So I don't know why that wasn't good enough for them. Like, did they need, like, a mid-movie kind of climax? Like, mid-movie kind of, like, thing? Yeah, I guess that's a, a a fine point about the action sequence. I mean, it just, like, if you're going to throw in an action sequence somewhere, fine. But this it makes things so confusing for the, like, greater plot of the series. Like, are the Weasleys, like, did the burrow burn down? Are the Weasleys okay? Like, um, we... We get no context except the next movie that everything's fine. And it's never talked about again. Yeah, and, like, why... There's also, like, little to no purpose for this scene. Like, why did the Death Eaters come and attack? Yeah. Because, like, they get nothing out of it except Bellatrix gets, like, and off it, on, like, her power trip of burning down another building. Or it doesn't, I guess this yeah. is the first building in this movie. It doesn't seem like... They had an intent to, like, capture Harry or anything. Yeah. Like, I think they were just having fun. Yeah, which, like, I mean, fair enough. Death Eaters are kind of, especially Bellatrix, like, a little bit crazy like that. But it just doesn't have a huge payoff. And the whole, like, I guess, like, maybe it's bringing up the serious Black thing again and, like, Bellatrix and, like, the anger that Harry has towards Bellatrix because of that. Mm. Um, but then, like, I have a real problem with Ginny running after him and getting through the fire, but, like, the adults <laughs> not being able to do that. And, like, Ginny going at all is, like, kind of questionable for me. Like, I understand that this is, like, your crush at 16 years old, but, like, you're only 15 <laughs> and taking on Death yeah. Eaters. Like, it just doesn't seem like a smart decision for her, in my opinion. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. In general, it's just, like, a little weird. And then, like, how it's, like, all in the grass and, like, you don't know where anybody is or, like, anybody could jump out at any point. I don't know. It just is a weird scene. Yeah. Agreed. Um, okay. I think we're going to call it there. Yep. And, yeah, check back. Check back next week um, for the rest of the discussion on this movie. Um, I think it, it we're about halfway through. Hopefully. Maybe a little bit more. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't really have anything else to say. 
Yeah, sorry that we ended on such a sour note of the burrow <laughs> scene. Um, come back to hear us talking about the second Dumbledore and Harry lesson. Maybe that'll be a little bit better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, you can find us anywhere you get your podcasts. I'm sure you know by now. Um, and please head on over to Apple. Even if you don't listen on Apple, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And that really helps us out. Yeah. Um, you can find us on social media. We are Wizard Studies Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and Wizard Studies on Twitter. You can join our Facebook group at Wizard Studies Podcast group on Facebook if you want to be a part of our pop quiz questions. Um, and you can email us at wizardstudiespodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. As always, thank you so much for listening. And remember, just do your best. We'll do the rest. And learn until our brains all rot. Right.